I know that this is not necessarily a popular subject in the body of Christ today. But just because it's not popular doesn't mean it's not necessary. Um, and God cares deeply about our consecration. He cares deeply about our holiness, the choices that either we are making or not making. And so we've decided just for the last um, couple of weeks ahead just to hit this. I think it's going to segue great into the upcoming conference that we're having. Uh, as you saw the, um, the video today. Um, and so I think it's going to follow suit really well. And so I'm just going to add to this conversation a little bit. I'm going to take it from a different angle, though. I'm going to try, by the grace of God. Um, Christine is here, so I'm sweating. She always holds me responsible for the words I say, so I'm a little nervous. No, I'm just kidding. I had to do it. Sorry, I think I did it last time you came back. So why mess with tradition? Like, we just might as well hit it. Oh, God, help us, Lord Jesus. All right, so um, again, I'm going to take this from a different angle, I hope, um, because in many ways, I want to find grace. I want to find God's grace in the midst of pursuing holiness. Where is it? Because often, sometimes, I don't know if you're anything like me, it can get lost when we're hitting this hard topic. It can, it can. It can be much about our conduct and behavior more than about our hearts. And we all know that God is mainly concerned with this thing, our inner man, more than he is with our outer shell, if you would. And uh, we begin to get it wrong if first we focus on conduct and behavior and neglect the focus that Scripture puts on our hearts. Because Christianity doesn't seek to control our behavior nor our conduct. It seeks, excuse me, to touch our hearts. It grabs our affections, our passions. Its first point of impact is in and upon our hearts. And as it creates or touches our hearts, it creates new passions, which create new conduct and behavior. Nowhere in Scripture does I, uh, that I see does Jesus overstate uh, the heart more than the conduct or the behavior or understate. Both are equally important to Christ. Don't get me wrong. Conduct and behavior matter to Jesus. But ultimately, there's a certain process that God leads us in through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it first starts with our hearts being changed. And then the conduct changes and the behavior changes and if we reverse that we misrepresent christianity turn with me to luke chapter 6 45 if you don't have your bible you should probably bring it to church because we got to see the words you know we want to see the words as we read the word they'll be up here i'm reading at the nlt new living translation page 836 if you have one no i'm just kidding Luke 6, 45, it says, a good person produces good things. Say that with me. A good person produces good things. From the treasury of a good heart. You don't have to repeat that, please. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Jesus goes on to say, what you say flows from what is in your heart. 
And again, he's not just talking about our speech. He's talking about our behavior in general, that everything, all issues, be them good from the treasury of a good heart or the treasury of an evil heart, they all stem from this place here. Luke 12, 34. We're going to hit a lot of scriptures today. I hope that's okay. Luke 12, 34. Jesus says this, wherever your treasure is, there your desires. I lost it. (laughs) That was the crescendo. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. For me, this scripture, as well as Luke 6.45, captures the heart of my opening statement. When Jesus affectionately touches our heart, our heart begins to shape or take on or develop, produce whatever you want to call it, new conduct, new behavior that reflects the activity happening in our hearts. Both are equally important. Our behavior and desire, be it good, be them evil, doesn't matter, but God first engages the heart and not the conduct. That's what I want to emphasize. That's where I believe the grace is, because oftentimes we can get so caught up when we're talking about holiness, when we're talking about uh, concentration. Thank you. Consecration. We can get so quickly hung up on this big laundry list of things that we do wrong, that we know. We're, we just keep on repeating and habits that we have and have formed. And we think that that's what God is magnifying in our life to deal with. It's like that God's saying, hey, you see these things? You better get it right. It's not what God's doing. God wants to touch our hearts. And when he touches our hearts, our heart begins, or our inner life begins to produce new conduct. He first touches our passions. Luke 23, 26. I think this illustrates my point very well. And forgive me, because I think I've used it all three times that I've spoken. But it's such a, it represents well uh, where I'm trying to go. Matter of fact, I could read it. We could just stop and get the point and be done. But anyways, um, some of you would be happy with that. But uh, 23, 26. Okay, Jesus says this. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup in the dish, and then the outside will become clean. First deal. Like you're so caught up. Now, I'm Jesus talking to Pharisees. You're, you're so caught up with, with presentation and, and your, your long robes and your scriptures on your arms and your words and everything. But guys, you're getting it wrong because inside you're dead. And God says here, he said, listen, first, deal with the issues of your heart. And then, and then the outside will reflect what the in, what's happening in the inside. Someone say amen. This is good news. This makes us think about holiness totally different. We don't, we don't boil it down to a laundry list of things that we get wrong over and over and over again. We see that God cares about the condition of our heart, not so much about the conduct and the behavior that we are doing. 
that wasn't proper grammar. But you get the point. You try to do this. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Uh, I sweat a lot. I had to sing a little today, and so I sweat a lot. Of forgive me. They got to turn the AC up in this place, man. Heaven forbid. I'm a sweater. You know, I don't want to rehash things that I've already talked about in the series, but I, I do want to find grace, and I believe this points us to a God who is passionate, who is relational. This points to a God that cares about not necessarily our appearance, our behaviors, but cares about our hearts and wants to work in our hearts. Let's change gears a little bit here. You know, all this is good, but you know, how do we how do we get there? How do we take the focus off from the list and put it on our hearts? How do we how do we how do we see this this truth and you know, I, I believe that one thing that starts this whole journey of holiness is our delight for God. Uh, you know, l- let me explain. Uh, go with me to Matthew thirteen forty four. Matthew thirteen forty four. <clears throat> forty four, not thirty uh fourteen uh thirteen forty four, sorry, thank you, Graziano. Thirteen forty four. Did I say fourteen forty four? Sorry. Thirteen forty four. Then it says, I will return to a person. I'm sorry. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns in f- this is not exactly where I want to be. I'm sorry. 1344. God, give me grace. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Come on. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Turn a page. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovers hidden in a field. And in, and in his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. No one sells all they own for a field unless it holds a much more valuable treasure. We're talking about delighting in the Lord. Luke 19, 8 through 10. Luke 19, 8 through 10. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be true, a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. No one forsakes sin. Listen to me. No one forsakes sin to trust and obey Jesus unless his salvation holds far more pleasure than sin. See, because the, the... Let's read another scripture. Hebrews 11. I got some paper towels to... Hebrews 11, verse 6, chapter 11, verse 6. And it is is impossible to please God without faith. 
Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. No one can draw near to God without believing God richly rewards those who seek him. One more scripture, Philippians 3, 8. Chapter 3, verse 8. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have disregarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him, I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ for God's way. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. We are talking about delight. Nobody forsakes sin unless there becomes a reason. There becomes something far more that grips the heart, that grabs our affections. We just don't do it out of willpower. We're not able to just do it because we've decided one day to put away that old nature. We do it because our delight is in the Lord. We do it because we know that we have found such a treasure in Christ that it would be ridiculous to hold on to anything that would beset us or ensnare us. Or You know, I do this with my wife. Heaven forbid... If I let anything violate that covenant I made with her. And it's not because she's over me. Daryl, you better do what's right, boy. Better not, you better not go there. You better not look at that. I don't do it because she's lording over me. And she's, you know, got a camera on me 24-7 watching my behavior. I do it because I love her. And I want to protect that love. But more than that, I delight in her. There's nobody else that has my heart like my wife. And much is like our relationship with Christ. See, we don't do things because he's lording over us and we just have to. We do things because God is loving. We love him. He loves us. And we want to protect that love. You know... We won't go there. And the list goes on. You can use, in talking about delight, in talking about where our treasure should be, you can read Matthew 19, 29. You could go 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Even down to martyrdom, uh, where, where we are able to give our lives, even to the point of death. Nobody does that unless... He considers death as gain, as he considers there's something on the other side of that death of value. So my concern for us when we approach this subject is we don't boil things down to the list, that we don't heap on ourselves condemnation. Yes, conviction, but not condemnation. My desire is that what really makes us victorious in the area of defeating 
that old nature is delight in the Lord. There is no reason for any one of us to not put our full investment of delight in Christ. He doesn't have to do anything new for us to do it. You know, shame on the charismatic church. Why? Because we're always looking for new props, new gimmicks to kind of stir that love. Oh, preacher, say something. Oh, worship team, hit that spot. Get the anointing. You understand there is, Christ has done enough to gain our affections. It's called the gospel. We don't need a new book. We don't even need books. We have a book. And in this book is the greatest romance story that has ever, ever. Where is your delight today? That's my question. And and there's no reason, there is no reason at all for our delight not to be in Jesus. What drives the Christian life is the great joy set before us, causing us to forget what lies behind, pressing us on toward the goal for that eternal prize of God in Christ. Our approach, guys, is to attain the resurrection from the dead by any means. Oh, you know, I have a concern that we have lost sight of the gospel. Help us, Lord. We can only live this way with our delight being in Christ when Christ is the chief desire of our hearts. It is impossible to love with all our heart one our heart does not delight in. Let me say that again. It's impossible to love Christ with all our heart if our hearts are not delighting in Him. Every act of obedience to God including loving your neighbors as yourself and loving your enemies, is contingent upon the greatest commandment to love God with all your heart. For some of you, that doesn't even register. Let me say it again. Every act of obedience to God, including love for your neighbors as yourselves, as loving your enemies, is contingent upon the greatest commandment to love God, to delight in God with all your heart. Delighting ourselves in the Lord is not optional. It's imperative. Delighting ourselves in God is not an option. It's needed. It's necessary. And you will get sucked up in riding an emotional roller coaster if you cannot find your heart continually delighting in the Lord. And you don't need another reason to delight yourself in God, in Christ, because He has already given us enough. We have lost sight of the gospel. Let me try to explain uh, explain that. Turn with me to First uh, Peter. And we're going to hit a lot of scriptures, and for this part, I have no notes. And that could be scary. Uh, but by the grace of God... We're going to go line upon line here, okay? And for some of you uh, who can't keep, uh, you know, your attention, you know, steady for more than two seconds, I'm not shaming you. I'm one of them. 
I had like three thoughts that I, I had in even beginning to, spe- uh, to speak that I wanted to say, but uh, I got to keep focus. And so First Peter chapter one, let's just hone in. Can we hone in? Let's see why the gospel is enough. That's, you know, let's see why the gospel, what Christ did for us is enough for us to on this side of eternity forever delight ourselves in Jesus. All praise to God. There's right there for me. That's the main idea. That's right here is what Peter is going to hone in. All praise be to God. Because you know what? As we'll read later in this chapter, in these verses, there's trials that are happening in this church in Rome. They're starting to form. They may have not come to their full maturity, but there's, there's a lot of upheaval and unrest and persecution against the Christian church in Rome. And, and Paul's preparing them. And, 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 and by all regards, there is no reason for these people to be happy at all. That should register to us because some of us think there's no reason to be happy at all today. We're, we're, we're just on the emotional roller coaster in life. You know, some days we have it, some days we don't. Some days we can praise God. Some days we can, as Paul says later, uh, he says this, he says, uh, okay, never mind. Uh, But the emphasis here that Peter is going to place is the high praises of God, that all praise belongs to God regardless of circumstances. All praise belongs to God regardless of circumstances. Okay. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy. There, there's, there's, there's a good part of why all praise belongs to God, right? Because why? He's merciful, right? So now we have something to praise. We have a reason for why all praise belongs to God because he's great in mercy. That we have been, I'm sorry, of great in mercy that we have been born again. There's another good reason, because God raised Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. Can I just say, these people probably at this time were expecting persecution. <laughs> you know, they weren't like the great expectation. Yeah, like there's like civil unrest and the church is being persecuted. Great expectation. What? All praise belongs to God. What? Are you hearing me? Why am I saying this? Well, I'm saying this because... of us in this room live a very good life. And some of us can't even get motivated enough to remember the gospel that initiates love and delight in Christ within us. That's why I'm saying it. These people were on the cuffs of being persecuted. Are you... Some of us can't even get to church because we're just emotionally broken and beaten down because of a co-worker at work or something. I don't know. But it's little and petty. And why do I say that? Because one day, guys, mark my words, persecution will be at our doorstep. And if you, we can't stand now under our little emotional brokenness, oh, heaven forbid, God will have to shorten the days. So that we don't get sifted like wheat because we can't stand. I'm being real. That's New Testament. Read Revelations. 
Read 1 Peter and 2 Peter, guys. Just because you're American today, or in America today, doesn't make you exempt. So there is reason to praise. I know that there's civil unrest and, and, and persecution is knocking at the doors. But listen, you have a great expectation. It's not necessarily, this is Peter speaking. I'm speaking as Peter. Uh, it's not necessarily what's happening outside. But it's, it's that you've been born again by the great mercy of God. That's enough. That's gospel right there. Verse 4, and we have this priceless inheritance. Another reason why all praise belongs to God. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. Pure and undefiled. Things that we cannot relate to. We cannot relate to on this side of eternity. Pure. They're kept pure and undefiled. Beyond the reach of change and decay, other things that we cannot relate to, something of why all praise belongs to God. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive what? The salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So here it is. So truly be glad. Be glad. Rejoice. Is there a reason for uh, them at this point in their lives with what they're facing or about to face for them to be glad and rejoice? No, but this is, this is what Paul encourages them in. And it's not because of the persecution that is embarking at their heels. It's because of the gospel. Things that have already been done. See, we don't need new reasons to glorify God. We don't need new reasons to praise God. It, it is so disheartening to me. When you come into a worship setting and people are sitting uninterested. I don't, I, listen, I refuse to do that regardless of what the music sounds like. I refuse to stand. I sit. I refuse to be disinterested. There is no point for that. There's no reason on at all for that to be the case. Why? Because I see this good news. I see that Christ has saved me. I have this priceless inheritance waiting for me in heaven. I don't need new reasons. I don't need good music. I don't need good preaching. I just need the gospel. I will cut up a rug in the midst of the most lay music in worship. Not because it's good, but because Christ is good. Come on! And lose sight of the gospel, guys. You've been saved. You understand? You've been saved. Up until the point of Jesus, you had no hope. <laughs> Sorry, I'm yelling. I just love Jesus. But you're saying, how does love for Jesus, you know... Uh, you were without hope, guys. You were engrafted into something that belonged to the Israelites, to the Jewish people only. <laughs> and up until Jesus, you and I, as your Jewish here, had no hope. Is that not something to rejoice for? I, I, I don't know. For me, that can keep me till I die. Or until Christ returns. 
And that's exactly what Paul, Peter is saying here. Listen, I know what's happening. I'm hearing rumors because Peter is not in Rome. He's writing uh, from another place. I don't even know where it is, but, but he's writing to these guys. He's like, listen, I'm hearing rumors of persecution coming, and you're, you're, there's a lot of shaking going on and uncertainty. Don't let it rob your praise, and this is why. Don't let it rob you from being grateful and responding to God. Don't let it keep you from delighting yourself in Jesus. Why? Right, rightfully so. What's happening? It's bad. It's bleak. It looks hopeless. But you're not without hope. And this is why. Because of Jesus. We can't. We can't. As a charismatic church, I don't even know what that means. I'm just so frustrated by these tags. Listen, if I'm a charismatic because I speak in tongues, I sing loud, and I speak loud, then so be it. I guess I'm a charismatic. Praise the Lord. But I don't think it means of theology that I'm charismatic. But there's nothing that is going to rob my joy by the grace of God. Now, I am not perfect in it. My family is up against the wall with my son's health. It is scary. It is quite uncertain. It is troubling. But I, I refuse for it to take and steal my joy. Because my hope is not in this life, but it's in the next. Guys, no matter how loud we sing or how much we pray in tongues, how much we dream, how much we prophesy, we cannot lose sight of the gospel. Some of you who find it hard to praise God, to go to prayer, to lift your hands, to dance, thank you for dancing, that was awesome. Some of you, you, get, you even get weird, and you're like, what's that dude doing? He's rejoicing. Give me a break. Have you read your Bible? David was almost naked and he didn't even have the gospel listen to me he didn't even have Christ he spoke of Christ but he didn't have salvation in the means of Christ and we, we oh why is that brother that brother is weird no he's not weird not weird at all I can hardly sometimes contain myself and you don't want to see me dance. But if I got to, I will. And am I trying to major on dance and lifting of hands? No. Don't, cate- don't put me in that category. I'm not saying, oh, if you, if you raise your hands, then you're engaged. No. Your heart. Our heart simply responds to what Christ is doing inside of us. That's why he's dancing. That's why people are lifting their hands and singing. Because we're, we're gratefully rejoicing in the Lord. And even if we don't have a reason, we have the gospel. Do you know that the New Testament is full of this kind of language? That all the apostles take it right to the gospel. Why? Because the gospel has the answer. It just doesn't save you. It gives you reason to praise. It gives you reason to be grateful. <laughs> when there seems to be no reason at all. The gospel does so much. It speaks to so much in our lives. Whew, I feel better. 
he goes on to say this, you love him, you love Jesus, even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a great, a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward of trusting him will be what? Salvation. It will not be. It will not be your safety. Paul's saying, I can't promise you that you'll escape this. But, but, but if you see what's on the other side of these trials in this coming persecution, this won't matter. The reward nine of, for trust, I'm going to read it again. The reward for trusting him will be salvation, the salvation of your souls. This salvation was even something the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. Even prophets. You imagine Isaiah writing chapter 53 about Jesus being like, whoa. I mean, I, that would stop me dead in my tracks. I'd be like, whoa, who is this man? Who, what, how is this going to happen? What is Peter doing? He's saying, do you understand? Even the people that have come before you have wanted to see this very thing. That which the prophets, he's drumming it up. He's saying the prophets marveled at this, this, this revelation that they were getting of Christ. And they're like, ah, when, where, who? And he goes on to say, even the angels themselves peer down and be like, oh my God. Do you understand that Satan and a third of the angels fell? God seemingly did nothing. One man, one woman disobeyed and God sent his son. I didn't come up with that. I heard it. From Alan Hood, but I'm using it. I'm drumming it up. Even the angels observe this wonderful act of salvation. Like, oh my goodness. They know no sin. All they know is perfection. All they know is heaven. They know nothing, but they see this. Oh my God. God the Father made a way through His Son to reconcile His creation back to God. Oh my. And some of us. You know, we get so familiar. Like this is some kind of story to, to read in a children's novel to our, to our kids. I'm sorry, if you are familiar, overly familiar with the gospel, not that you know it, but that it no longer pulls at your heart and your affections, then you are in a dangerous place. I want, to, I want to warn you, if, if, if this is not fascinating news, ask God to tenderize your heart. Verse 12, they were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. Oh, do you hear that? He's talking about the prophets and the angels. As they were getting revelation of Christ, about this coming Messiah, they were told that it's not for them, but it's for you. 
And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happening. And then what does Peter do in light of this glorious truth? He talks about holy living. In light of this, in light of the good news, in light of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, he goes on to say, so think clearly, exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Christ Jesus is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back. Don't slip back into old ways of living that satisfy your desires. You didn't know any better then is what Peter says, but now you do because of Jesus, you do. But now he goes on to say some of the most, I think, startling words in the New Testament. He says, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I, God, am holy. This time I'm going to ask David to come up. He's going to lead us through some things. Boys, if you want to switch the uh, table around. Uh, We will take time to remember Lord's suffering and um, his sacrifice on the cross. And like Daryl said, while we were still sinners, lost in darkness and without hope, our Lord has freed us with his precious holy blood. I was his enemy, and he accepted me as his precious child. This is grace. We are his family. You are my brothers and sisters. But to understand Lord's Supper more in depth, I would love us to look in the Old Testament. It will take only a few minutes. But did you know that Old Testament and New Testament, this is one story about one person. His name is Jesus Christ. For the first covenant that was established with Israel on Sinai was a foreshadow of what God has done in the last days. Moses sprinkled people of Israel, and this was an outward sanctification. Yes, God has delivered people of Israel out of Egypt. 
He made covenant with them, but they, they broke it many times. Our sanctification is not outward, but it's inward. We were not sprinkled, but we are invited to eat his body and drink his blood. Yes, the mystery is great. But Jesus said that he is the true bread. And on that night, before Jesus was betrayed and made a new covenant, he, ha he, ha he gave his disciples a new command. And this command was to love one another just as he loved us. We as members of this new, true Israel are called to love. To love my brother, to love my sister the way he did. You, you see the mark of the New Testament, of the New Covenant, is love. And we can turn our Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we will read it from... Verse 23 to verse 31. Paul is writing to church in Corinth and he's saying, For I received from the Lord what I also de delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and he gave, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But there is verse 27, and it's saying, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then, and so, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Paul is teaching and rebuking Corinthian church in his first letter for not treating each other in love. They knew God's love for them, 
but they didn't live it out, as we heard in today's sermon, to love. When they gathered to, to remember Lord's sacrifice on the cross, they treated those of lower worldly status as of lesser worth. Believers in Corinth failed to discern Christ's body in one another. And thus, they shamed the commemoration of Jesus' sacrifices, sacrificed body. And Paul is calling even us to pause, to stop, and think, to examine our hearts. We should ask our, our, uh, ourselves, have we, have we failed to love? Let us pause and listen to Holy Spirit, what He is saying. Did we offend someone? I would encourage us to go and ask brother or sister for, for forgiveness, to reconcile. And if you have been wrong, wronged, then forgive. For our Lord teaches us to forgive, forgive as He has forgiven us. And then come and take from the bread and wine. In this way we declare and testify to the world His victory over death in our lives. So I would, I would love to take two minutes just to pause that each of us can ask Holy Spirit and ask this question, Lord, have I done something to my brother or sister? Have I failed to love the way you love? Lord, in you there is forgiveness and grace, and I know that you forgive me. Also, help me to forgive my brother and sister. We are his family and true mark of his church is love so let us take those two minutes in silence
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your holy sacrifice. Lord, we were strangers to you, your enemies, but you, has, you have made us your children, and we belong to you. Thank you for your body that was beaten for us because of us. Thank you for your holy blood. Lord, you give life to us. And we are remembering of what you did on the cross. Thank you for your sacrifice. We are now new people. We have new identity. We belong to you, God. And thank you for forgiveness, for your grace. You are so precious to us, Jesus. You are more, more than anything in this world can offer. You, you are the true bread. You satisfy our hunger. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you. You are worthy. You are holy. You are our God and King, and we praise you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for my brothers and sisters. We don't have to be alone. We can live in this love. We are your body in this world. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I would invite you now to come and to be partakers in Lord's great act of love. We will take bread and we will dip it in the wine and then we will go and take place and when I will tell, then we will take and eat it all together. Okay? And uh, Will, I would, I would like to invite you to come. A whole worship team. This is a great time of worshiping God for what he did. We can come and rejoice because we are his people. Yes. So you can come. We can start in first rows and then we can go. Thank you, Jesus. And you are good, good, Ooh, you are good, good, Ooh, you are good, good, Ooh, you are good, good, The king of love be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. Oh, he is my soul. Let the king of love be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. 
Was that fun or what? Is God good? Come on. Is God good? Listen, I don't want to stop either. But uh, we got to break down. 
But listen, hold on to this. Hold on to this. Come on, there's just times when God touches our hearts and we need to hold on to it tightly and not let it go. And so I encourage you to do such. Again, guys, not to be overly practical, but we do have a conference coming up. We'd love for you to be with us. Listen, space is limited, but it is going to be a fun time. Okay? Uh, So register. Register now if you have the chance. Kids, we got something for you. We got something awesome for the kids. So register your kids. It's going to be a good time. And then also just keep in mind, not this coming Sunday, but September 11th, we will be changing the service times to work with the hotel. We'll be meeting here at 6.30 at night. Listen, don't stay away. We're going to try to work on getting some refreshments and some snacks and some stuff. And we're going to talk about the vision of this church. We're going to talk about small groups. Okay? Don't play music. We're going to actually we're going to let everybody go with this you are good business. Okay? All right. So register and don't forget September 11th. All right? We love you guys. Listen, we do this every Sunday at 10 a.m. Come and celebrate Jesus with us.
Amen. God bless, guys. Have a great day, okay?